Thank you for listening to this programme from the Forever Manchester Radio and Podcast Network. Forever Manchester is a charity that raises money to fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester. Check out forevermanchester.com to find out more. For happy days. For amazing ways. For people who care. For people who dare. For great opportunities. For amazing communities. For a hand up, not a handout. For you. For me. For everybody. Forever Manchester. Let's do something extraordinary. Join the movement. ForeverManchester.com With me now is a gentleman who is great with rhyming words. And he's been a friend of Forever Manchester for a good many years now. He's done some performances and he's written some poetry for us. And it's a delight to welcome and have a chat to Tony Walsh. Hi, Terry. Glad to be here, mate. How's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Obviously, you're a Mancunian lad. Mm, Yeah, I'm from Denton originally. Tell us about your school days, your childhood memories. School days. Uh, I was born in 1965, so I'm, I'm 53. My dad's Irish, my mum was English, born in Denton there. Uh, not much money about when we were kids, you know. And uh, I went to Denton Central, near Crown Point there. Then uh, I went to Audenshaw just after it finished being a grammar school. So we were the first year it wasn't a grammar school. So I, was, I went back in there and worked with my poetry the other week and uh, we were talking about all that. 1976 this would be. Mick Hucknell had, had been there a couple of years in front of us. And um, Tameside must have been conservative then. They were, they were abolished in the grammar schools and Ardenshaw and Fairfield the girls school fought it all the way to the to the European courts so we went in in September as the first year that wasn't a grammar school but uh, the world in action a panorama was filming and, it, and it, it was a big it was all over the national news it was a weird way to start high school then I went to sixth form in Hyde nice what did you take oh blimey you're asking me now um, history sociology and business studies crazy mixed up kid what was all that about what was your first job oh now then uh, my, da- my dad knocked about with a scrap metal fella. So when I was about 12 or 13, I worked in a scrap metal yard one summer. He had me at the back of Jackson's Brickworks sorting out broken and unbroken bricks. I remember <laughs> once standing in our downstairs toilet with a load of little uh, little widgets, oily oily widgets and a vice, putting them in this vice and putting a little hammer and pin thing on it and knocking this pin out of it so it could be melted down. Right. Getting all oily up in the house. And then I had an advertiser paper round and then I worked in the uh, in the co-op at Crown Point. It was called Shopping Giant, but it was tiny, you know. But <laughs> I, I still knock about with them lads from there. So, I, again, I, I lied about my age. I said I was 14, I was 13. And I worked in there from the age of 13 till I went to uni. And, uh, you know, we, they used to have us working all hours. We'd more or less run there from school and we'd be there at 10, 11 o'clock at night sometimes. From having no money when I was a kid, all of a sudden I, I was all right for money, but I was working mad hours to have it. Brilliant. When you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I don't know. I, uh, I always wrote. I've written since I was five and six and seven, and I'm massively into my music, and I used to write lyrics and uh, do the old hairbrush in the mirror and all that, you know what I mean? So I, I always felt like I'd do something creative, but I had no confidence when I was a kid, and I, I never did anything with it. So if you told me now um, I'd be making a living with my words, um, I'd be I'd be really pleased. I worked for I worked for twenty odd years in the, in the public sector. We can talk about that. Yeah. But, um, I was I was happy doing that. I you know I was happy working in communities with communities, uh, doing something for the public good. You know what led you to the public sector? What was your job and how how, how did you get there? Well. I dropped out of uni, went to Salford Uni, and I dropped out. This was the mid eighties, so I ended up on the Dolan Leeds for eighteen months, really freezing cold, literally counting coppers, you know. And then um, I got a job at come back home and got a job at Walsey's in Hyde Godley there, 
and I did uh, eight sea months in Wales. I worked I worked with uh, Diane Modal's uh, dad for a while, right. Sid. <laughs> so that was that was pretty grim. Uh, and I, and I, I ended up I got flat in Charlton, and I used to get up at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, I get the twenty five past five bus out of Charlton into Piccadilly for six, and out to Hyde for seven o'clock. So that was killing me. And um, so post office jobs came up, and I got a job in the post office in about nineteen eighty eight. I did four years on post offices around South Manchester. So I did Withington, Didsbury, Charlton a bit, Stretford, Altrincham, all them places. Just driving a van or walking? No, this is this is behind the counter. Oh, on, right. On the oh. post office counter. Okay. Catching gyros and doing all the banking and all that. I was in an armed robbery, Terry. I got held up in an armed robbery. I had a gun at my head. Really? Yeah, not good. 1991. Within some post office, if people know it, it's a little sort of prefabby building down a side street in Withington there. And we come in one morning and uh, there was uh, four or five lads with balaclavas on. Uh, a couple of guns and a couple of knives, and uh, this jumped on us. And I was I was the only young youngish fella there. There was an older fella and some older women, and he held me on my own. With uh, Rambo was Rambo was a big film at the time. What you call a Rambo knife, and then they taped us all up with a with a gun at my head. Never. Uh, so that was that was that was November, was it? And I kept it together till about the April, and then you know my shed went, and I was I was off all summer. So I never I didn't go back. I got criminal injuries and uh, got made redundant, and uh, that was summer. Summer 91, 92. So then I got a job in uh, in in the council. I was a housing officer in Miles Platting okay. in ninety two, and that was that was really challenging then. You know, before anything by way of regeneration or public investment, you know, things were really hard for people: guns, drugs, lawlessness. So what did you do? What was your job? I was I was a housing officer for Miles Platting. So six or seven hundred houses and flats were were mine to manage in every sense. So rehousing, rent, repairs, and then all the social problems that would crop up as well. You know. Uh, racial harassment and domestic violence. You, you try to help people with that. And this is pre-specialist units that might be able to. Yeah, help there was there was very little by way of money and very little by way of policies, and um, there was it was really tough. But um, there was opportunities. So pretty soon I was an assistant manager, housing manager, and then by '97 when Labour got in basically and, and and started being some budgets, the whole regeneration thing came in. So I managed. I was involved in physical regeneration projects around North Manchester, so what we're going to do with the terrace houses, which were, you know, thousands of them empty at the time, right? and what we're going to do with these 1670s uh, council estates that needed investment. But then, you know, the penny started dropping that you could do the houses up all you wanted, but regeneration was about people. So money started being available for training projects and education projects and environmental projects and sports projects and youth projects and so on. So I went over to that side. So I managed them for the city council in North Manchester and then back to Ancoats and Platting, based in, in Beehive Mill. And then I went over to Salford doing that in about 2003. Right. I was in Salford then for about seven years. And what brought that to an end? Poetry. Right, OK, so let's rewind the clock a bit now. Yeah. You didn't just get up one morning when you were working in social housing mm. and think, ah, I'm, I'm going to just start writing a bit of poetry. Yeah. Does, does that go back to your school days? Absolutely. So uh, I work in schools now and I carry around with me the very first poems I ever wrote from when I was six and seven. Right. Five and six and seven. And uh, I took them home to my nan's and my nan copied them out into it. I think it's a telephone or a shopping, shopping list pad, long, long, thin pad it is. And my nan copied them out. And they were about what, what you write when you... What they have you writing at school when you're six and seven. Leaves, Christmas, you know, that sort of stuff, autumn. And, um, they, you know, I've had kids now and, and I work with kids and, and they were pretty good. And my nan said, oh, very good. Uh, and then uh, she copied them into this pad. It's made them feel special, you know. I'm good at something. So then I started writing them in this pad myself when I was like nine, ten, eleven. And then I, then I carried on writing, but I, I didn't show them to anybody. So um, I wrote right through my teenage years. Was there a reason to that? Was there a reason why I didn't show them to anybody? Just, just, um, 
the way it is with a lot of kids. You know, your writing starts changing, starts getting more personal and what have you, and, and you, you're shy about it, or I was. So I'm not sure anyone knew I wrote. I probably wrote to about 15 or 16, and it started getting a bit more angsty, started getting a bit more political, you know. Uh, this would be the, the late 70s. And then I didn't, really, I didn't really write much at all after that. I always had vague notions of being a writer without actually doing any writing, you know. So I, I'd have bits of ideas and bits of song lyrics, and, uh, but I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. And then when we had kids in my 30s, and, uh, you know, that uh, slow, slows you down in terms of going out and stuff, then I found myself writing a bit more. And then 2003, so we're sat here now uh, just uh, near the Hacienda. Um, just across the way there is the Britain's Protection. Yeah. So there was a poetry night happening there called Perverse. See what they did there, Perverse? Perverse. Upsta- upstairs in the Britain's Protection. And I went along summer 2003 and uh, had a couple of poems with me. And, you know, we've got some amazing poets in Manchester, people who are my friends now. And, of course, they were all there. And I'm like, wow. And what I had in my pocket was rhyme poetry and, the, and this snobbery about rhyme. Will it be okay to rhyme? Gr- you know, gritty stories about, you know, kids at bus stops and fish and chip shops and what have you. Um, and knockabout, and it appear humour stuff, a bit cheeky. Well, you know, will this, will this be any good? Will this pass muster? And I got there, and, and that's what I found was in the room, you know, Working class people who've got talent largely, who've probably got the same fears as you. Yeah, a few years, a few years in front of me. So Jackie Hagen would be there, who's, who's big now. Mike Gary, of course. People like Shagan Lee French and uh, Michelle Green. Her name, you know, names on the scene. Rosie Garland would be there. Rosie Lagosi, Jerry Potter, Chloe Poems. Uh, people that, that I still look up to were there, and that inspired me. So it's like, okay, it's on next month. I best write some more poems. I best write some more poems. And then it was, um, oh, you're the guest next month. So I got like twenty minutes together. So like so you you like the headline act yeah you know within within that frame of reference yeah and I I, I was hooked so this was 2004 now and I, I taught myself into Glastonbury 2005 I think so my first festival I was I was I was 40 at my first festival you know and um, I started meeting people who were making a living at it not not a massive living and people who were still single and stuff but oh, there's you know there's a, there's could there be a living in this and then uh, so by this time I'm pretty senior in the council. But I found my thing, you know, and it was really hard because I was quite senior in the council and you sort of politically debarred, uh, but some of my stuff was political and some of it was, was rude, sweary, and I'd be in the advertiser on page two or three with councillors and then I'd be there on page 18 doing something poetry-wise and that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tricky edge to walk, you know. And it was chewing me up and um, about 2008, I had the chance to move jobs internally and I asked to do uh, my compressed hours so I did 32 hours in four days so it only cost me four four hours salary but it gave me a day a week back so that allowed me to pick up more work and get to festivals and what have you and then in 2011 the tourists had just got in there was voluntary redundancy on the table and you know I'm talking to my wife said look I feel like I need to give this a go and it was a massive decision you know my kids were what were the kids at the time 10 and 8 or something and she come down one Saturday morning and said you know what I can see what it's doing to you let's let's give it a go I think this is where we might have first come across you, actually. Yeah, around about then, Terry, yeah. I'll tell you what happened. I, I, I got my figures for finishing, and I, I had 18 years servicing, so there was, there was a decent whack to, to give me a bit of a buffer. And um, I went back into work. My wife had said yes. I filled the form in online, and I'm sat in a room with two people, and I'm just hovering over the button, and I says, yeah, I wish me luck. This is the biggest email I've ever sent. Please kind of give me job and pension up at the age of 40-odd, you know. And I pressed send, and literally at that split second, my phone was there, and he went, bzz, bzz. Literally at split second. And I picked it up. Would you like to be poet in residence at Glastonbury Festival? Blimey. In I, the same moment? In the same moment, Terry. Honestly, like one had caused the other. And, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not superstitious, but I took that as a good omen, you know. <laughs> and um, so that was it. Uh, April 2011, uh, I was out the door. Poet in residence at Glastonbury. 
Yeah, and then we, we must have met around the same time. So I'd known Forever Manchester a few years before that from my day job, I'm sure, and I certainly knew of you as Community Foundation for Greater Manchester. And then I did a little gig in uh, Dave Foran's pub, Juicy Bridge there, down near co-op, co-op side of town there, and uh, gets there, and there's, there's only about 12 or 15 people watching, weren't they? Yeah, there was a band on, com- a comedian, a poet and a band. Yeah, yeah, so uh, I jumps up, and I've got a poem called Rain Dance, and it's... Uh, a few years before, there was an exhibition, I think it was on a city, uh, about music and football. Mm-hmm. I thought, there's a poem in that. I want to write a great Manchester poem that ties all the music and the football together. And I made a start on it. And then I bumped into uh, Marquis e. Smith of the Fall in, in the King's Arms with a mate of mine. And he you know, he was famously curmudgeonly, shall we say. And he, uh, he was positively rude to my mate, and my mate walked off. And, uh, and I said, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I said, I've got to be polite now. I said, I've, uh, I've uh, let's talk about Manchester, I've got this Manchester poem. He goes, he goes you want to get out of Manchester? It's a shithole, he says. Can I swear? I just have done. And uh, he's, he's going, I think it was going on about Bill Bowow, I think. So I come away, and that made me dust this poem off, and I thought, right, we'll do some more work on that. And you sit down to write about Manchester, and you find the Manchester story is actually the greater Manchester story, isn't it? You yeah. know, the Stone Roses were from Trafford, the Apple Mondays were from Salford, you know, Rochdale, Tameside. Yeah. And then, particularly with rhyme, you find you can't just write about poetry and music, you're writing about the engineering and the science and the radicals and all of that. And the history plays the a history, part in it all. Yeah, yeah, of course it does. So it, it turned into a big, sprawling epic, <coughs> 18 minutes long. So I did that in the corner of the room, looking out at 12 or 15 people. And I finished, and it turns out it's, it's you and Nick Massey from here for two. And you both got tears coming down, down yeah. your face. And, and he grabbed me and all that, and oh, that's what we—that's what we're all about, Tony. Forever Manchester, and uh, we come in and uh, had a brew with you, and that started a, a really great working relationship over the last few years. I'm going to come back to that in a bit because, yeah. of course, Forever Manchester appointed you as its poet in residence. Yeah, proud, isn't it? proud to be so, and I've written uh, four or five poems for you now. I've done a load of dinners and fundraisers, and, and uh, really proud and pleased to be involved, Terry. It's, it's great work you do. Let me tell you back to younger days now. Mm. I've got this, I don't, and it's probably wrong, but it's a well, perception of poetry of being. A little bit Billy Elliot, right? Go on. So you can't, like, your mates are all out there, they're playing football, they're doing yeah, all yeah, of yeah, the things yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that boys do. Yeah. I'm going to even go as far as, say, cowboys and Indians and yeah, all, all of the stuff that, that kids yeah. used to do, yeah, soldiers, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then there's poetry. And poetry's a bit like, I mean, in my perception of it, it's a bit like ballet. I know what you mean. I, I did all that, don't get me wrong. But the reason I'm, I'm alluding to that, because before you said there was an age where you'd sort of, between 12 and 16, you were writing the poetry, but it was like secretly. Yeah, and I was going to yeah. allude to it then. And that, is that because you're hiding it from everybody? Yeah, it is. And, and it, I still call it the P word. You, you can't say it unless you want to clear a room sometimes, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's changing. I hope it is. But yeah, that was part of it, you know. So I, uh, you know, I was big into the music thing. I caught the tail end of the punk thing and I started writing, you know, punky poems or punky lyrics and uh, but yeah you know you know my background I grew up on a council estate in Denton yeah. and uh, there wasn't a lot of poetry about I was a shy kid anyway right. but I certainly didn't walk around with a flag over me I'd say saying poet I mean by the time I was 15 I was looking pretty weird anyway for, for where I lived and uh, I was six foot five and skinny and dressed weird so you know I was, I was very twastable as it was without going around <laughs> saying poet you know <laughs> but you got through it yeah I got I got through it yeah pretty good so you became forever Manchester's poet in mm. residence I think you've written four poems. Four or five, Terry. Um, so there's a poem called Silver Sparks yeah. that takes the idea that there's a spark of creativity uh, pinging around Greater Manchester. So it was written for your 25th anniversary, wasn't it? So that's a silver anniversary. It was, yeah. So I took that silver idea and it talks about maybe Jodrell Bank is a big uh, receiver for a beam of, of creativity from outer space and it pings around town. And yeah, it turns up in music, but it turns up in business, it turns up in sport, it turns up in politics, social policy, it turns up... All it, over. All over the place. Yeah. Manchester there's a secret to this amazing place they beam a stream of dreams it seems from deep in outer space and when they meet our atmosphere they turn to silver sparks 
as the spirit of Greater Manchester that sets this place apart. Yet yeah, they beam it down at Jodrell Bank and keep it underground in the fault lines and the salt mines and from there they feed it round and so it's beamed from Stockport Pyramid to the top of Winter Hill, from Wernerthlow to Wigan Pier to Beetham Tower until they bounce it up to Ramsbottom and from there they shoot it down and the tower sparks at Heaton Park to the Arndale Roof in town. And it's stored in dead cool reservoirs underneath the northern quarter where it sparks as creativity and leaks into the water. And they ping it down the bus lanes and the wires above the trams. And it zings between the silver earrings worn by all the mams. And they fire it right up Deansgate. And it rocks down Oxford Road. And they work it round a circuit till it's ready to explode. And Berry fizzes busy with it. Wigan, Trafford, Bolton, Tamesides on the same side as the Salford Loop to Oldham. And it hot tails up to Rochdale and to Stockport and to Hyde. And all the Manx fill up the tanks and <sighs> breathe it deep inside. And we buzz off how it nourishes and satisfies our needs. And we love the way the signal won't reach Liverpool or Leeds. And it leaks from us as brilliance. It pours from us as light. It fires us, it inspires us, and it's why we burn so bright. And it's why we shine like silver. It's why we shine like steel. It's laser beams make crazy dreams and zeal to make them real. And so there's silver in the trophy room on Sir Matt Busby Way. There's silver at the Etihad and more to come, they say. We've silver Wigan warriors and silver at the Latic, silver on the zips of Bellevue Speedway leather jackets. There's silver in the teaspoons of a million friendly brews. There's silver invitations here to dead posh trendy do's and there's silver shining microphones and silver loud guitars and silver in our restaurants and pubs and clubs and bars. And when silver falls on mirror balls, it makes the city shine and dancing feet just stamp the beat. Tonight, the city's mine. And it bounces off the scaffolding. It bounces off the cranes. It bounces off the gasworks and it sparkles in the rain. Yet it sparkles on the drizzle days enough to make us proud. But it fills our hearts with silver sparks when sun shines through the clouds. And then the pavements shine like silver. And it bounces off the slates and it fills the eyes to mesmerise and energise our greats. And it sparkles on our rivers and canals until they gleam. And it turns the grey Mancunian way to a boulevard of dreams. So we've polished coal to diamonds, forged iron into steel, spun cotton into cotton upper. Listen to the wheels of industry, of commerce and of culture here and science. And listen to the DIY not have a gold defiance of greater great Mancunians who decide to get things done. And we spark off one another with our faith and fire and fun. And it's always sparked philanthropy. It's always sparked the deals. It sparks inside the sleeves rolled up type shoulders to the wheels. And it's always sparked the funders. It's always sparked the minds of engineers with bright ideas and genius of all kinds. Yeah, it sparkles in the Mondays. And it sparkles in the roses. But it sparkles in forgotten kids like gods with snotty noses. And it sparkles as the self in those who've only known self-doubt. And it sparkles as potential. When we're starting off with nout. Yet there's silver shining right across the proud Mancunian nation. And there's a silver anniversary for our community foundation. Forever Manchester is made of this. It pulses through our veins. It's written in our DNA. It's hot wired to our brains. And we make it our business plan to bring the sparks together. When sparks start fires, we fan them higher and learning burns forever. And it's not our way to moan and groan and focus on what's wrong, no. We find and polish silver and we build from what is strong. 
and there's so much breadth and so much depth for seizing opportunities. And we go to lengths to grow the strengths of women in communities. And there's so much shining silver here. Imagine what that's worth. Just add it up. It makes creates this greatest place on earth. So maybe your spark is to raise a few quid. Maybe your spark is a dream. Maybe your spark is the leadership skills for breeding and leading a team. Maybe your spark is a brilliant plan, a funny raise money idea. Maybe your spark's doing something for now as a valuable free volunteer. Maybe your spark is a high-flying thing, or maybe you work at the bottom. Maybe your spark by remembering the ones who so often feel hurt and forgotten. Maybe your spark is for lighting the way, a lifeline to those who might drown. And maybe the spark in that snotty-nosed kid there makes history and lights up the town. So tell us. Tell us your ideas. Let's spark some new solutions. Come on, Manchester. Greater Manchester. Let's spark revolutions. We'll light a beacon. Feel the heat and loudly, proudly say, here's to another 25 years of charity the Mancunian way. Forever, Manchester. This is the place. Just feel this city's powers. We'll light the dark with silver sparks. Tonight, the city's ours. So there's that one. Uh, there's a poem called Who We Are. Lots of local references. That's a good rabble rouser. There's one I had fun writing. Trying to help you talk about what it is that you actually do. Because, you know, sick donkeys dispensary, people know what you do. Poorly kids, people know what you do. But people don't necessarily know what Forever Manchester is. Yeah. So it's, uh, it takes the alphabet and every word A, then B, then C explains what it is that you do. I spent a long time writing that one and uh, performed that at a dinner for you. And that one goes down well. And then... There was um, another poem called This Is The Place that you wrote for us. Yeah, so uh, what, it must have been about 2014, I would guess. Yeah. And uh, you wanted another poem, and the idea came to me. And um, if people only know it from the bomb vigil, the terrible events of May 2017 there, then you'll be missing out on about 12 or 16 lines. Because what the brief was, was can you summon up everything that people feel about Greater Manchester? And can you say, if you feel like that, then we're the charity for you? So what it does is it, it lists the, the sport and the music and the inventions and Emmeline Pankhurst and what have you. And then it says, and we've got this is a place, meaning Forever Manchester, somebody with a plan we don't do, no can do, come here for funding, we help each other sort of thing. Yeah. So those lines were missed in the square because it was an advert for you guys, basically. But then if you think about the ending from the version that people know, always remember, never forget Forever Manchester... That was working doubly when those lines are there. Because it stands alone, always remember, never forget Forever Manchester. Because that's your name, it was it was tying the two together. Yeah, it worked very well, and uh, as did Silver Sparks. Yeah. Uh, one of the highlights of, our, of the Forever Manchester birthday party over the years of, 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 of being the latest... <laughs> the latest... Tony Walsh, but yeah, and I've, yeah, and I've enjoyed doing it, mate. You know, performing in the Midland Hotel or these grand hotels in front of 400 people. What's not to like, you know? What's the best gig you've ever done? Best gig I've ever done? It's interesting, a performer will tell you it's all about connection and you can walk out in front of a lot of people and they, they think it's great, but you, for some reason, that, that word vibe, energy, it's, it's intangible, but it's a real thing and you've not, you've not got it back and you can perform in front of 10, 20, 30, 30 people and the, en- the energy's great and, and you're buzzing off it. You know, so um, I just sold out the dance house recently with a solo show, 400, 450 people. 45 minutes, interval, 45 minutes. And to hold that many people for that long with just your words, just one bloke stood there, was a real buzz for me. Yeah. Uh, in the summer, I performed at, uh, at Kendall Calling in uh, the, 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 the hut there that uh, uh, Tim Burgess of the Charlatans runs, calls it Tim Peaks. 
and it was so rammed and people were so close to you, I could hardly get to the mic. That was great energy. But uh, you have to think your best gigs, the next ones, to keep you going. So, you know, I've been in front of some massive crowds of people this last couple of years, and clearly that's an honour and, and, and a privilege. And, and you get different things from, from them. But the energy of being in a smaller room and people who are really into it are the ones that stick in the memory. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my weirdest gig. People say, what's the most unusual place you've performed? Do you want to know the answer? Go on. Inside Starling's penis. Right. Now you're <laughs> going to have to explain that. So, uh, 2008, <laughs> the British Council invited me to go to Warsaw in Poland there. Right. And if you know your history, you know, Poland was invaded by the Nazis and then handed over to the Soviets in the settlement of World War Two, And it was flattened in World War Two, and all of a sudden Stalin's in charge. So the first thing he built was this tower, and he, he sent architects over to look at the Empire State Building. So it's like a slightly shorter, slightly fatter Empire State Building with them, you know, them heroic Soviet-style statues around it, you know. Right. And inside it is the National Theatre and the National This and the National The Other. And the gig was in the, the cafe bar attached to the National Theatre. So it's, uh, it's a, tall, a tall structure. I'm holding my middle <laughs> finger up here now. It's a tall structure in a flattened city, and it was saying we're in charge. So the locals didn't like it, and it was, it was phallic. And in one, in, in one sense, it gets talked about as being the middle finger to the city, but its nickname is uh, Stalin's Penis. So I've performed in Stalin's Penis. There you go. <laughs> right, so from this transformation, from <clears throat> writing poetry to performing your poetry mm. in these little Monday night, Tuesday night get-together yeah, type yeah, places. Yeah, 20 people, 30 people. And then... It it goes to bigger gigs. It goes to evenings with Tony Walsh at wherever, wherever. Yeah, so that's where I find myself now. There's got to be, obviously, there's a written transformation that can be seen because of the times that those poems were written. Yeah. Transformation as a performer, as a person, as a performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does so it have I, an impact on you? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a stu- I'm a student of my game. And like I said, I was lucky to, to see some great people here in Manchester. Then I started getting to the festivals, um, Glastonbury and Latitude and Shambhala and Kendall Calling and Big Chill and all these. And you'd be seeing the best in the country and, and and great people from overseas. So, you know, if you want to be good at something, study what people do. No, he's going loud there. I was going quiet. I was a big pause there, you know. And you can video yourself and you see videos of yourself. You think, you know, that pause I had then, it could have been twice as long, you know. So work at what you're doing. And, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd practice and work at it. And, you know, I talk about, as a, as a solo performer, you've, you've got to be your own writer, your own editor, your own actor, your own director. And, and I try and teach that stuff when I, when I get to teach. So just by virtue of, of sticking around and working on what I do, it built over the years. So the, f- the festivals were a, were a great way because you, you meet people and you get booked around the country. Kept working on the on the writing side, um, picking up work in schools, so working primary schools and secondary schools and, and prisons and with, and with companies and refugees, all that all that stuff, and um, just just keep going, and you, you can't help, you can't help but get better. You've written some great poems for some great clients. I know you wrote something for Alex Ferguson or Manchester United. Yeah, I wrote uh, when Alex Ferguson left. United, uh, he got made uh, a freeman of Trafford Borough, and they named the road after him outside Old Trafford. And I, uh, you know, I can imagine, you know, a couple of a couple of not great speeches, and, and he wouldn't really do justice to what was happening. So I made myself known to Trafford Council, and they didn't they didn't have much money. They paid me a little bit, and I, and I wrote the poem. It's called uh, the Govan Boy, G O V A N, where he's from. And I sat down to it. I thought, right, I've got the gig. How am I going to go about this now? And like the bloke's career was magnificent, wasn't it? And those feelings of watching the treble go in and what have you. I thought I've got to try and. Summon, summon that up because that's the feelings to tap into so I had a good go at it and then I performed it uh, next to the man himself uh, and all the great and the good as they unveiled the sign Sir Alex Ferguson way outside Old Trafford and he stood there and the BBC guy told me um, he had a tear in his eye 
and, and he was not long before I'd seen him talk about man management player management and he said don't go overboard with your praise so that when you do give it out people really value it don't go around throwing your brilliance around and what have you and he said I just use well done if you get a well done from me he said you know I'm pleased and I'd only seen that on the TV a bit before and he come up to me well done well done I thought I'll, I'll, have, I'll have that and then we've got a great artist here, Stanley Chow, Stan Chow, mate of mine. And you'll know Stan's work if you, if you, if you remember his name. He, he does these... Uh, you can get some Stan Chow prints you from can. the he, he's, he's shop. Stan's world-class at what he does. And he's got a few strings for his bowl, but he does head and shoulders portraits uh, on a certain digital package. Very striking, very beautiful. He does world superstars and footballers. And he'll tell you they're a bit like... They're inspired by Panini stickers, head and shoulders. So I knew fan was a, uh, Stan was a big United fan. So I, I didn't know him that very well. I approached him and said, shall we do a print of, uh, of my poem and an image of yours of Fergie. So we did, and uh, I'd met a mate of his at a launching thing, and I said, uh, can you help me get these to Sir Alex, one of these to Sir Alex? Anyway, he invited us for dinner with him. So we had dinner, me and Stan, with Sir Alex and his mates in town here. Um, his birthday's at New Year, isn't it? It's really about January the 3rd, January the 4th. And what a great fellow, what a great company it was. So he's got number one, Stan's got number two, I've got number three, and Stan sells them on his website. You can find it on YouTube, The Govan Boy. And if you're a United fan, it'll bring a tear to your eye. Quite recently, and for a lot of young people, in or around the 60 mark, certainly maybe a little slightly yeah, Blue Peter played a massive part in their childhood. For a lot, of, for a lot of people, yeah. And I've just had the honour of writing the official BBC poem to mark Blue Peter's 60th. Um, I was, I was approached about that, had a few meetings, and uh, what, a, what a great job that was. Because I've taken some commissions on where you think, what's my angle here? Where's the poetry in this? How can I move people with this? But clearly, 60 years of Blue Peter, there's, a, there's a lot to go at. So I had some meetings with them, and I uh, got to understand the, the visual archive that they've got. So all those images that conjures up, they've, they've got them all. But one of the interesting things is. As the opening line says, we each have our Blue Peter. So I'm old enough to have been Valerie Singleton, John Noakes, Peter Purvis, Leslie Judd a bit later. And then I'm the oldest of four, so it was on in our house for a good few years. And then you come back to it with your own kids and you have another little era with it. So I watched a lot of old videos. I read the book that was done at the 50th anniversary. I spoke to some people who'd worked on it for um, for years. So some of the presenters do a few years. The people worked on it for 20, 30 years, went all over the world. And I, and I sat down to that task and I handed that in, they loved it. They filmed me his little studio in Haywood, they filmed me against a white background and then put footage behind me. Uh, they banged it online and that must be getting off for two million views now between Facebook and Twitter. And who, who shared it? Ed Sheeran shared it, they told me David Beckham shared it, uh, Dawn French, Lewis Hamilton, Tim Peake, the astronaut, and uh, some of the best feedback I've ever had for point. People moved, people moved to tears, people pinging it around the world. We've got some very blue Peter going on at the moment because oh, yeah. now we're recording this podcast, yeah? yeah. Fred Manchester's cleaner oh, yeah. is outside plugging in the Hoover. And there you, know you go. That. Rock and roll, mate. I was going to stop the recording. I thought, you know what? Nah. Rock and roll. Keep it real. So, yeah, that was an exciting one. To summarise and to maybe to conclude this this little chat, what are, what's happening in the, world, the wonderful world of Tony Walsh at the moment? And what are your plans? So, um, I've just sold out the dance house uh, on Oxford Road here with a solo show. I had 450 people there and I did, a, I did a little tour and people were driving all over from Manchester to, to see me people drove up to Morecambe I thought well I'll squeeze another one in before Christmas so I'm doing uh, Berry Met on December the 12th and that sold out as well so I'm trying to get me my next book finished my next book's going to be called Work Life Balance but with three full stops so there's poems about work poems about life and poems that sort of offer some reflection and, and, and balance on it all so that needs to be out next spring now I've put it off twice or three 
times. I can't put it off again. So I've just announced a solo show at home here, just around the corner here in March. I've got somebody booking me um, a national tour, so I'm doing about 15 dates around the UK and Ireland next March and April. I've got a few commissions uh, lining up that people will see when they come out. I've got loads of music ideas. I'm hoping to do something with them. And uh, yeah, keep keep plugging away. And finally, it's it's dawned on me across the course of this little chat that you made Alec Ferguson cry, mm. you made the Blue Peter following cry, you made myself and Nick Massey have tears in our eyes. I've just arrived at the conclusion that perhaps that's your place on earth to, to put tears in our eyes. In in in, in a good way. There's there's, there's different <laughs> reasons you would cry. And if and if you know if somebody came and seen me doing hour and a half, then you'd be laughing. Maybe this doesn't come across with the poems people have seen. You'd be laughing, you'd be cheering, you would have a tear in your eye. You know, I've heard, I've met Noel Gallagher a few times and, and I, I heard him talk about this in an interview. People have a pop at Oasis, but it's not easy to move 30, 40, 100,000 people with a song. We, we know with simple lyrics. Something's got to be going on in those lyrics and those tunes that moves people. And Noel said, I said, he said, maybe it's an Irish thing. And, and, and what I talk about with Noel is we share an Irish council house background, you know. And uh, maybe it is an Irish thing. Growing up with Irish music in, in the house is sentimental in some ways, but humorous within the course of a song, certainly close to two songs. And Noel talks about that, that beer in your hand, arms in the air, singing, tears in your eyes thing. That's not easy to do in music, and I, and I, and I try and do it in, in poetry. And um, So, yeah, I like to take people on a journey. I, I do like to go deep and dark. I do like to do, try and make people cry with the, with the sort of inspiring thing, the passion thing. But you can't do that for an hour and a half. So I've got, I've got knockabout daft poems as well. You know. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Cheers, Terry. Always a pleasure, mate. Anybody interested in checking out, and I'm going to get this right, I'm going to nick a line from your act. Go for it. It's tonywelsh.co.uk. Don't do... Tony Walsh. Oh, oh, it's Longfellow, isn't it? don't give up your day job, No, mate. we'll start this again. Check out longfellow.co.uk because if you if you Google longfellow.com... Terry, mate. Terry, mate. Terry. <laughs> uh, if people want to find out more, you'll find me on Twitter at longfellapoets, double L-A. Uh, I'm on uh, longfella.co.uk. Whatever you do, don't go on longfella.com. That's a very different website. But cheers, Terry. Thank you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> For happy days. For amazing ways. For people who care. For people who dare. For great opportunities. For amazing communities. For a hand up, not a handout. For you. For me. For everybody. Forever Manchester. Let's do something extraordinary. Join the movement. Forevermanchester.com. Forever Manchester.